Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fully Booked, the Hidden Gems author podcast in which Craig Touch, myself, Roland Hume, chat to some of the interesting figures and leading lights of writing and self-publishing uh, that we have the opportunity to speak to. And today I'm delighted to have a very, very special guest, uh, a man not known uh, necessarily for anything to do with self-publishing, but writing and a very, very long and distinguished publishing career and a musician and a theatre man. He's a, he's a true Renaissance man, Raymond Benson. Raymond, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, hello, hello, hello. Good to see you. And you've been in a lot of places recently. I've seen you popping up on podcasts everywhere. Yeah, I know. For some reason, I'm popular again. <laughs> well, we are very, very grateful for, for you joining us. Of course, we wouldn't be here without the man himself, Craig Touch, the owner and founder of Hidden Gems and an author himself. How are you doing today, Craig? Doing great. Thanks, uh, Roland, and welcome to the show, Raymond. Um, you know, I know uh, you've had a long career doing all sorts of interesting things. Uh, you know, according to Roland, you, you started in uh, with video games and, you you know, yeah. Actually, actually, no, I started in theater. Oh, theater. Okay, well, I meant your writing careers. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, well, but maybe you're writing. writing the theater. Yeah, maybe you're writing with theater. Uh, you know, writing for video games, I guess, and then, um, you know, writing for the, the Bond um family you know for Ian Fleming's uh family to, to continue on the the series right uh -huh. and then you've gone on and written your own books uh, aside from Bond um so you know and what what one of the things we want to really talk about today focus on I mean we'll we'll sort of get into your history too and what led into to where you are today but um you know the idea of structure and the idea of you know building your story structuring your story in a way that you know brings readers you know chapter to chapter keeps them flipping the pages keeps them always wanting to continue not put the book down right because that's how you you know write a successful book is is people just don't want to stop reading you know if if, if people read your book and then in the morning they're really tired because they couldn't couldn't close it and go to sleep i think that you've done a good job right uh and you're very good at that i have a copy of your latest book here the mad mad murders of marigold way and i remember when i picked this up i read so many books by so many different authors and i just had such a good time reading it it was so enjoyable and the end was so satisfying you almost felt like you needed a cigarette or something <laughs> <laughs> well i'm glad thank you i appreciate that uh yeah. Uh, well, okay. Um, you know, I mean, I I know a lot of thriller writers and mystery writers because I belong to all these organizations like uh, International Thriller Writers and Mystery Writers of America and, and the International Association of Media Tie-In Writers and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we all we all talk shop and we all have panels and stuff and Basically, you know, we've all come to the conclusion that you're, you know, you're you're either a pan, a plotter or a pantser. Uh, you know, a plotter plans ahead and either does an outline or, you know, does a lot of plotting of the story beforehand. And a pantser writes by the seat of their pants. They just sit down and start writing. Like Stephen King is one of the most famous pantsers of all time. He can just, you know, regurgitate a, a novel, <laughs> just sit down in, in his basement or wherever he writes and, and, and does it. Um, and that's great. I mean, you know, there's no wrong way to do it. And there's no I mean, there's no right way. There's no wrong way. Um, it's whatever works for you. You know, it's whatever works your method. Um, I find personally that if you're going to write a mystery or a thriller, it's got to have 
a good plot. It's got to have a, a twisty, turny plot that uh, is not only, um, you know, exciting and has a lot of, you know, red herrings and, tw- and you know, paths that could go different ways and keep the reader guessing. Uh, I think you have to plan it out. Um, you, you know, for me, I have to know what the ending is before I even start writing. I want to know what I'm working toward. And that way it's easier to plant clues and also redirect the reader too when you need to. Uh, If you're just, I mean, for me, speaking personally, if I was trying to write a mystery or thriller by the seat of my pants, I would get lost and write myself into a corner or, uh, you know, I would, I would, I would mess up, you know, I, and, and I've tried it. I mean, I have tried writing by the seat of my pants. I just can't do it. Uh, it was a, it was a disaster. We've talked a lot about the pantser and plotter uh, sort of, you know, the, whether you're in this camp or that camp. And I am totally with you. I'm a, I'm more of a plotter and I feel the same way, even without thrillers and mysteries, I always kind of need to know where it's going. Otherwise I would write myself into a corner and I would have to do so much more rewriting because I'd, you know, come to something and then be like, Oh, I should have maybe, you know, set that up earlier. And then I'd have to go back and do that. So to me, I completely agree. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, you know, I, when I when I let's take let's take Bond because that's the easiest way to show examples. Um, when I was writing James Bond, you know, the, I already had my main character that was given to me. So the the trick was coming up with a good plot and a good villain. And you know, what was the villain's plot? What what's something unique and new that hasn't been done before? <laughs> or if it has been done before, they've all been done before. But. Uh, um, what what interesting new twist and take on it could can you make? Um, and you know, I, I had I was tasked with writing Bond novels set in contemporary times, which when I was writing was the late nineties, early two thousands. So at that time, I would I would take basically a world map and and pinpoint what locations that Britain would be concerned about. What were the hot spots, and why were they hot spots? So, for example, my first novel, Zero Minus Ten, uh, I knew that it would be, if, if it was published, it would be published in 1997. Uh, what big hotspot event was Britain concerned with in 1997? That was the handover of Hong Kong. So I thought, well, that's a great, you know, milieu for a story, you know, I, but, but I knew nothing about it. Uh, why did Britain even own Hong Kong in the first place and why were they giving it back? Uh, so I had to do a little preliminary research and learn about, you know, the opium wars of the 1800s. And I learned that there was a war between Britain and China and, um, Britain won the war and in the treaty, they got the mass, the land mass known as Hong Kong. And, but, you know, when they were writing up the treaty in London somewhere, some fool kind of put in there, we'll give it back to you in a hundred years. <laughs> so they honored that they honored the treaty. Um, but here you had, you know, a hundred years of Chinese people and other people um, living under a democratic rule of, of Britain. 
And then suddenly now they're going to be under a communist rule. You know, I bet they're, a lot of people are not very happy about that. And, I'll, and I bet that there were British businessmen who had British businesses in Hong Kong that weren't happy about that either. And so suddenly my villain came to life. It was like, okay, that's it. A, a British businessman who does not want Hong Kong handed over to China. He's my villain. Uh, and so what's he going to try to do about it? Well, he's going to try to disrupt the uh, the handover. In fact, he's so, you know, demented that he's going to like, you know, cause a war <laughs> between Britain and China again. So there we have it. There's a perfect Bond plot, uh, a Bond villain plot. And it's so perfect that they they made a movie about it a few years after you wrote the book about something completely different with uh, yeah. Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, in a way. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I actually found out much later that Eon had been exploring the Hong Kong issue uh, for uh, the movie after GoldenEye. Um, I did not know that at the time. And I don't even think Ian Fleming Publications knew that at the time. But we did learn about it later. Um, so. Who know? I you know I don't know why they didn't go through with that, and I don't. <laughs> I, I have no idea. I'm not even going to go there. So uh, anyway, um, so once I decided that, and I, and kind of my idea was approved, then I had to start doing more research and um, figuring out. You know, with Bond, you know, a lot of the locations uh, inform the story. Uh, so I started picking areas of Hong Kong and China and Macau that might be interesting for a location and then thinking about what could happen there, you know? Um, and, and, uh, then I started to just developing the story. And so I wrote what I call an outline. It's really a prose treatment. Uh, and it's broken out in block paragraphs. Uh, each paragraph represents a chapter. What happens in that chapter that propels the story. You know, I don't get into character or dialogue. It's just like, what information do you get in that one little paragraph, that one chapter that's yeah. going to move the story forward? And that's where I work out all the twists and turns and the obstacles and um, basically the entire, it's, it's like, you know, Alfred Hitchcock, when he made a movie, he would do storyboards, right? Yeah. You know, and the story he he would he would direct the entire movie in storyboards before he even walked onto the set, and he he's famous for saying that after he had done that in his head and on paper, then going to shoot the movie was boring because <laughs> he'd already done all the work, he'd already already done all the creativity, and that's kind of how I feel. The hardest part for me is writing that outline. That's where all the work go, goes into it, all the creativity, all the the angst, the hair pulling and everything is is in that 20 page single spaced outline. I, it's something you said about that, the, about each you have a paragraph for each chapter and it tells you the information that moves the, the story forward. I remember when I read this, which of course has nothing to do with Bond, that was exactly what happened. Every single chapter you finished it and you're like, now I know something new that informs me differently about the context of the story. And that's, I guess, where you get the twists with it. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I do an outline. I've done outlines for all my books, including that yeah. one. So that's, you know, that's how I work. Um, and then, you know, once the outline is done and I'm happy with it, then with Bond, I would actually travel to the locations and, and 
walk in Bond's footsteps and visit all these places so that I could, you know, accurately write about it. And so, you know, back then, you know, you didn't really have Google Maps where you can take the little guy on street. Yeah. <laughs> you had to actually go. <laughs> uh, so I did that. And that, you know, that also could change things. You know, I'd get to a place and I'd go, oh, wait, well, this doesn't quite work out exactly how I imagined it. So I'd kind of refashion it and uh, refigure it a little bit uh, if I had to. So, um, then, yeah, so I, I would do that. I'd come back home with a lot of notes and pictures and then I'd start to write. And the way I write is like Ian Fleming. I, I want to do the entire first draft all in one go without looking back at what I'd written. And I think that helps establish a pace. It, it gives a momentum to the, to the drive of the book. Uh, because if you write a chapter and then you stop and then you go back and you start rewriting it and then you start revising it and then you think about it and then you go back to it, man, you're going to lose your your train. You're going to, you know, the, 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 the train's not going to keep going. It's not going to make yeah. it to the destination, you know. <laughs> so um, I like to just write a scene a day. Whether a scene is a whole chapter or not, it depends on the scene. As long as it has a beginning and an end, I want to write a scene a day. And and then the next day, just continue. Next scene, next scene, next scene, and just add it all up. Um, and the writing then, you know, if you're following your outline, it's like a blueprint. It's a map. Yeah. Uh, you know, you get up in the morning and you're ready to write and you look at your your outline you go okay what am i writing today oh yeah it's this this little bit here this chapter and i know i have to get that information into the story and boom i start going um so it, it the writing part is relatively easy i mean it's tedious uh it um you know it takes a while but and, and you know you can be creative as you're writing. You know you got to do the dialogue. You got to have characters, and you got to be descriptive and all that stuff. And that's where you know the writing comes in. But you don't have to think about the plot. It's already done. Yeah, the hard stuff. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. exactly. Now there's there's tricks for making it suspenseful. There are tricks. Um, you know, it kind of, you know, th- there's a difference between, you know, we, we always argue about what's the difference between a mystery and a thriller. You know, mysteries are more like, you know, whodunits. You know, you want to figure out a puzzle. You want to figure out why something happened or who did something, etc. It's, 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 it's solving a puzzle. A thriller is more of a situation in which, the big question is, are we going to get out of this alive? Yeah. Yeah. What a great way of defining the two. I'd never really heard it defined quite as, as uh, simply as that. Right. Uh, You know, a thriller might have a time, a a good, a good thriller might have, this is a, this is one of those tricks. Uh, It's a, it's the ticking bomb scenario. That was another Hitchcock thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it can be bond too. Uh, so, you know, something's going to happen there, you know, the, 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 the missile's going to, you know, shoot off a laser at Washington or something, you know, at such and such day at such and such hour. And so you structure your novel in hours and days, zero minus 10. Um, 
to, you know, that you have a deadline, you know, and so that gets you the suspense going, you know, are they going to make the deadline? Um, so that, that's a big one. Um, you know, there's the, uh, you know, the, the intruder threat threat, um, where, you know, you're, this can be, you know, literal, like, you know, you're in a house and you're being attacked by zombies and, you know, how are you going to escape? Or you're in a submarine and it's disabled and you're underwater. How are you going to survive or escape? You know, it's the same kind of thing. Um, the tracked room scenario. Yeah. Um, I always try to end each chapter with, with a cliffhanger, you know, um, that's what helps get the reader to keep going, you know, at night, you know, you finish a chapter and you go, Oh shit. Uh, I go to the next chapter. Uh, so you kind of leave it with a, something, a, a revelation at the end of the chapter or, or, you know, something big happened. Uh, it's good to start the novel, you know, the beginnings are very, very important, not only to get the story rolling, but also to interest an editor and a publisher. These, these editors, they'll read the first page of your novel. And if it, if you haven't grabbed them in the first page, forget it. They'll reject you. They look for every excuse to reject a novel because they can only publish so many books Yeah, and they get hundreds of submissions. So if that first paragraph if that first page does not, you know, go, oh, well, this is kind of cool, uh, then, you know, you're lost. So like the Bond movies that have a pre-credit sequence, I like to start with a pre-credit sequence. You drop the reader right in the middle of something that's already happening. Uh, and it gets it gets their attention. It gets the reader's attention. Um it can't be obtuse. I mean, you, they've got to kind of know pretty quickly where they are, yeah. what's going on, who's involved. Um, and, uh, and so on. But let's take, you know, an opening sentence, like, um, in my, uh, the black stiletto series. Yes. The very first line of the very first book is, uh, my mother was known as the mass vigilante known as the black stiletto. And that kind of immediately like leads, there are so many questions you automatically have as a reader just from that statement. Right. Right. Um, I have a, my first non bond novel was called evil hours. The opening sentence, uh, (laughs) for some reason I've written a lot about, mother uh ch- children uh, grown children and their mothers and some secret with their mothers i don't know why because my mother but uh uh evil hours the opening sentence is my mother was murdered when i was four years old or something like that uh you're, you're one in this it's uh friends oh what was it uh friends this is a little tale about some murders and immediately yes. okay yeah yeah so if you can if you can come up with a sentence like that that can can just kind of go ooh, let's, yeah, let's I think next, let's read the next sentence. I think <laughs> I, this, I, is, this is oh, go ahead, Greg. 
Uh, no. I was just going to say, like, I, I sometimes um, I think one technique some writers do, you know, I feel like a lot of writers they might be in a situation where, like, you know, well, my story doesn't really start off that interesting or whatever. So I don't know. I can't really do that or whatever. But I think what a lot of authors do or what I've seen done is um, in, in the case where they really, you know, don't have a, a great place to, to start like that, they kind of start with a um, like a, almost like a flashback. And then they sort of move forward and, and then you're kind of like, uh, or you, you, you know, you, you switch back in time and then you're like, how did you get, uh, you know, yeah. what happened there? Yeah. How did you get that, there? You know? I, I do that too. I mean, I, I've done that a lot where the, the opening chapter is something that takes place in the past. Uh, um, Fleming did that a lot, you know, right. um, or, or it's something that takes place in the future. It's something yeah. that, that's right. later on in the book. And you get a glimpse of it there at the beginning. And then the next chapter is going back in time to the beginning of the story to catch up with that opening right. chapter. Yeah. Right. And, and then you can go to things that are maybe a little more dry because you've sort of put that thing in their head and they, and it's that suspense, you know, you've set it up and now they're like thinking, well, wait a second, how are we going to get there? You know, and then they're going to want to power through to try to figure it out. Even if you have to get to some backstory that isn't as exciting as, as what's, what it's leading to. Right. Now, another thing in the plot, uh, another trick that uh, can generate suspense is uh, let the reader know something, but not your characters. So the, your, your, the reader is constantly going, you idiots, can't you see this is right in front of you? This is, you know, why do you not know this? You know, and you, you're, beg- you're dying for them to find out what, the re- what yeah. you know, you know. That's one way. Or you can do the opposite. You, you, you somehow indicate that a character knows something that the reader doesn't know. And the character is not saying. He's not revealing it. And you know somewhere down the line he's going to reveal it. You know? And I get and at that rate, like his behavior might be out of like character for what you expect him to do because he knows something you don't. And therefore you want to figure out why he's doing that. Yes. Yeah, I think I think you have to sort of be careful on that first one. I've seen it done poorly in the sense a lot of times in movies or TV shows, maybe where you're kind of like you almost have to make the characters really dumb to not understand what's going on or or you at least kind of feel like they are you're like how can they not see that like they should it's it's almost like takes you out of the realm of disbelief if you don't do it right because you're kind of like it's really really obvious but they keep missing it and that i find sometimes frustrating right it's like okay come on like you couldn't have your story if they didn't ignore this completely obvious thing right so you have to kind of like be careful about how you do that yeah yeah i agree um Anyway, you know, once I've finished writing the first draft, that's when that's when I go back and start revising. And by then it's three or four months later from when I started writing the book. And so when I start reading that first chapter again, it's it's very fresh. It's like, you know, oh, my gosh, did I write this? <laughs> you know? and, yeah. and, you know, then it's it's like fun. That's and for, for me, that's the most fun part of the entire process is going back and reading it again after you've written it and, and starting to revise that and the, and the traveling to the research. That was fun too, but it was a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So then, you know, you do that and maybe a couple times and then it's always good to have beta readers to um, that you trust who will 
tell you the truth and uh, read your book before you give it to your agent or somebody. Um, and then you might do another draft based on that, what they tell you. And then then you might have to do another draft once the agent reads it. And maybe again, once the, you know, an editor maybe takes it, but then wants changes or something, who knows, you know, it's, Oh, it's maddening. <laughs> but it, um, it's really interesting to hear the way you describe this process. Cause it's almost like you've got, it's almost like a jigsaw puzzle. You're putting the, the big pieces in, with the things and then the smaller pieces and the smaller pieces and that's the the final picture but the big pieces of the structure like you're talking about zero minus ten you know coming up with the plot of uh this evil dastardly person when it comes to like characters because a lot of story has to be character driven because characters have to do that must be motivated to do things that drive it along how do you how do you like combine the plot which is what you need to happen with the characters who are the people who need to make it happen for you well, see, that's where my theater training comes in. Uh-huh. Um, I I studied directing, and I got a degree in, in directing theater. And we had a professor at the University of Texas at Austin. In the he was I don't know if you're familiar with the movie called The Paper Chase that had John Hausman in it. It's from 1973. He was a law professor. John Hausman won an Oscar for supporting actor for it. He was this really tough mean professor that was brilliant, you know, and people and the students were all in awe of him and scared of him and all this stuff. But he was a great teacher. Well, my directing professor was just like that. And everybody was in awe of him and everybody was scared of him. And he wrote the most widely used directing textbook in the United States at the time. So he was a big deal. Uh, Pretty much the entire department revolved around the directing program. So um, he was very, very big on preparation. And you cannot, you know, direct a play until you've torn that play apart. You have to study that play. You have to write out this, what he called it, preparation. And it was basically like a thesis. Uh, You had to go beat by beat throughout the entire play. And, you know, what is... What is the subtext for almost every line of dialogue, you know, and then you had to do character analysis of all the characters in the play and what are their motivations? What are they trying to do? What what are they at the beginning of the play and what are they at the end of the play? You know, how do they change uh, if they do that kind of stuff? And you've got to know all this stuff. And he also had you block out the play on paper as part of the preparation. That's, a, again, the storyboard technique. Yeah. And when you say blocking, that's like where the actors stand. Where the actors move yeah. throughout the play. So you had a ground plan. You had to make a ground plan of the play. And then for every page of the script, you had to show where the characters are going to move and on what line. It's almost like a, like a coach with a football team. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so... I use that whole concept, that whole philosophy in my writing. Um, So, you know, we learned that characters define the action, but at the same time, action defines the characters. And by action, I mean dramatic action. I don't mean fisticuffs. I mean, you know, drama, drama action. 
whatever whatever happens in the play is comes out of something the character wants um and vice versa you know something that happens in the play can can be a, a react a character can react upon yeah okay so for me personally the characters came about organically from the story uh i would create this plot and i knew what characters i wanted in the thing and what characters are doing what and as as i was writing the story it would just happen intuitively um for me it also helped in a lot of cases if i cast it in my head oh that's interesting i wouldn't i wouldn't convey in the in the writing who i was thinking about but in my head if i could hear that actor's voice or in my mind's eye he- see that actor in that role it helped me write that character yeah for example 0 minus 10 yep the character of guy thackery the villain yes jeremy irons oh that's brilliant yeah oh my goodness yeah. and that was Very 1990s jeremy irons well. 1990s yeah 1990s oh yeah. what a brilliant choice yeah he was so good in like die hard 3 as a bad guy you can see it and then um the uh, the triad leader yeah that's in it um chow yun fat Oh, that's a name I've not heard in a long long time, but he was he was huge oh. in the 90s. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, with Zero Minus 10, I was also influenced a lot by Jackie Chan movies and John Woo movies because I was watching them a lot in the 90s. You know, I was I was really into the Hong Kong cinema. That was when it kind of came over, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was big in the 90s. That was uh Yeah, that's when it really became popular. So I was into it. and then 0 minus 10 happened and i'm going oh wow i can channel that into this novel you know so that's really interesting it's kind of interesting as well because you it it seems like you know there are people who read write books that are um very cognitive i guess and others that write books you can almost like see that almost like movies and i guess Ian Fleming had examples of both but yours are move like books you read that you can I think I even sent you a message when I was reading the Mad Mad Murders and I was just like I could imagine this as something you're watching and like you, and it's and that was the same for all your books. Yeah, well I I I think I do write very cinematically. I'm not a very literary writer. I'm I'm very much a n- kind of nuts and bolts commercial thriller writer, you know. Yeah. Uh I think my books are very accessible. That's you know they're not they don't get bogged down in in literary stuff. um not that that's bad not that that's bad it's just not that's not my style you know i think that's the genre right thrillers yeah. tend to be they're more visual things you know they're chasing exactly. they're they need to be blowing up short sentences you know yeah. no no james joyce style one sentence paragraphs you know uh, <laughs> I, mean, i like a, i like a good literary book every so often but that's well, like kind of like like i don't know a vegan smoothie and sometimes you just want steak and chips Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um So, um that's, you know, that's basically it. Um and and I always say to beginning writers, you know, read a lot. You know, read read the kind of books you want to write. If you want to be a thriller writer, read a lot of thrillers and see how they do it and you you do soak in by osmosis technique. 
Um, I think that's very important. And uh, what else? Um, I, I was going to ask, you've already mentioned how your theater background definitely colored the way you wrote books. Um, did your experience writing video games and writing role-playing games help with that? Because I always wonder if those have to be so structured and it's like, and it's the structure that's so strong in your books, maybe it's that training that kind of like excels in how you write. Well, interestingly, I used a lot of my theater training in writing and doing the video games. Because, oh. <laughs> you know, my, my, my games were story-based role-playing games where you're a character in a story trying to solve the story, you know? Uh, yeah. So I used all the techniques that I learned in directing um, in, in those games. And yeah, you had to come up with, you know, puzzles and obstacles and, but you're still telling a story. And uh, it, it, there, you might just have to go off on tangents and explore the path not taken in a game because there would be players who do that. Yeah. And so it can't just be a dead end. You've got to kind of also create another little subplot over here. And then they realize, oh, this isn't, this isn't going anywhere. You know, this is just kind of for fun. And so you got side quests. Yeah. Yeah. A side quest. Exactly. Um, So yeah, it did, it did train me to, to, but it also helped hone my fiction writing. Um, Yeah. Was not a fiction writer before I was doing, uh, games. So I did have to write dialogue. I have to, I had to create characters and that's where I kind of honed how to write fiction was, was doing these games. Um, so yeah, you know, zero minus 10 was my first published novel. <laughs> Which I mean, that's, am- I do find that amazing. I mean, there's the, the new author Kim Sherwood, everyone's like, Oh, she's only written one book and they decided it's like, okay, that's fine. But look, Raymond Benson hadn't written any books. And the folks from James Bond were like, "Will you write the next part?" I mean, that's they must have had quite a lot of faith in what you were, what you were able to deliver. Well, you know, I'd written the James Bond bedside companion. That was yeah. a nonfiction book, uh, and that was a complete history of Bond and an analysis of all the books and all the movies. And so they knew that I knew the universe very, very well, you know, and they knew I could write because they'd seen that. They didn't know if I could write fiction, really, but I had I had written a first novel, a mystery novel. Um, it was while I was doing the computer game stuff, and I let um, the head of Ian Fleming Publications at the time. It was called Glidrose. His name was Peter Jansen Smith. He was lit, he was Ian Fleming's literary agent, and he controlled all the the literary business at the time i let him read the book you know i asked him if to read it and would he read it and give me comments and and he did he 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 gave me some good comments i think we both agreed that it was the proverbial first novel you stick in a drawer and it's (laughs) but he did see that i could start a novel and more importantly finish it and you know so many people start novels and they never finish it yeah Um, and then he also saw that I was doing all these computer games and, and some of them were, were award-winning games, um, story-based games. So he, he, he took a chance. It was a gamble. I'm, I know it was. I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people probably told him, are you crazy? <laughs> you can ask this guy to write a Bond novel. Um, but then, you know, the, the, the people that are telling him that are 
having to pick up a phone and and say it. They're not like a billion people on the internet don't you know questioning every decision you make. I think it's harder now to make those kind of big big yes grand take those chances right because you're going to hear about it from every corner of the internet whereas back then you know you just had to answer to a few people and take a chance and then if it doesn't work out maybe they don't even put it out and they can pretend it never happened right (laughs) right right. because it was total secret i mean and i did have to audition a little bit um you know i had to come up with the outline on spec uh and that had to be approved by not only the fleming people but also the british publisher and the american publisher and once they gave the green light to the plot, the story, then I had to write the first four chapters on spec just to show them. Oh, that- wow. So you could have done all that and then you could be like, nah, we'll go with someone else. Yeah. Yeah. And once and it, it was the same approval process, they all had to approve it. And once that was done, then they saw, okay, let's let them do it. And what a bloody good job you did as well. I mean, it's. <laughs> well, thanks. I appreciate that. I mean, uh, Poor Craig has to listen to me going about James Bond all the time. He's extremely patient. But <laughs> one of the things is, you know, people are always asking me, where where do you begin with a continuation novel? Should we read the John Gardner ones? And I'm kind of like, no, you should start off really with the Raymond Benson ones because you've like brought Bond into legitimacy as a as a character. They weren't just like hokey novels being sent out for the guys who like the Roger Moore books. It's like they were legitimate thrillers and they got a, like, and every single one is a cracker. And I think that's what elevated James Bond to the point where they were like, let's bring in Sebastian Fawkes, let's get Jeffrey Deeby, let's get these other people. You like reinvigorated the entire franchise. Well, I appreciate that. I, that's nice to hear. Um, I, I oh, Craig, if you're... I, I, so I wanted to go back a little bit to to something you were ta- talking about uh, quite a while ago. Um, you know, in terms of your process and and writing the uh, the chapters, uh, you know, in a block paragraph because i do this i do a similar thing but i wonder if i have a feeling that you're a lot more disciplined i found that when i did that although i would do it probably maybe not as much detail but but quite a lot of details well i plan on every chapter uh you know when i get to the writing part of it (laughs) things diverge sometimes and then i end up having to uh go back to my outline and sort of change a bunch of stuff going forward because I made a decision while I was writing that just, you know, changed how, you know, future, future chapters were going to go. I couldn't stick directly to that. Um, did you, uh, do you do that or do you pretty much stay very I, close to your I, outline? I'll, I always good know going into it that I'm not married to the outline. Um, that if I have some kind of wild idea in the middle of the writing, then, and I want to change something, I can, I will. And I might have to go and revise the outline a little bit if, if it right. changes it drastically. There, there's one case where it really did change, and that was my novel called Face Blind, which was my second non-bond novel. Um, in the middle of the story, um, I'm writing. I've already done the outline. I'm writing the book now. In the middle of the book, I suddenly got the idea to kill off a character. That, oh. that, that stayed alive in the original outline. Right. And I just right. kind of, oh, wow, this is this would be a really great twist if I kill this guy. How will that affect the rest of the story? And I had to think about it, you know, and go back to the outline and kind of look at it and go, okay, if he's not in this set part, not in this part, not in this part, what? how does that affect the story? And I, you know, I worked it out and I thought, 
I'm going to do it, you know, so it can happen, you know, but I still, you know, use the ally. I just had to revise yeah, it a little bit. Just revise, yeah. yeah. yeah I, that, I think it's tougher probably with thrillers to do that because so many of the things are very, very planned out. Whereas, you know, when I was writing, it was romance. It was not hard to change the plot. But it, but I also found that's why it diverged so much because my characters would just, it, you know, it's more character-driven. They're all just in the relationships and you realize that, you know, you're writing something and the, there's more chemistry or less chemistry or whatever. And that changes sort of, sort of, a lot of stuff but it's a lot easier for me to change the outline of a, of a romance than it would be to write a thriller especially if it was one where i had gone on location and scattered a whole bunch of things uh, i'd be a lot more reticent to make changes. yeah yeah but um uh roland you had said something earlier about how you know doing the novels like a big jigsaw puzzle where you do the big parts first i kind of look at it as as building a novel yeah uh, it's the outline is like the, the 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 blueprints, the ground plan, the 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 foundation, the 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 bones of the building, and then the writing is putting in all the you know the walls and the rooms and the uh, floors and the ceilings and and all that. I mean, people often say you know writing is a craft, not an art, and a writer is a craftsman. As Hemingway said, "We're all craftsmen who never we're all apprentices in a craft that never has a master." But I find it so interesting that the strategicness in which you put things together and it does appeal to me. He listened to it. I'm like, maybe that's the way you can get a writer's block and get over like not sitting down and wondering what you're going to do. Yeah. Um, it is. I think it is a craft. I mean, you can be artistic within the craft. Yeah. You have to know the craft before you know the art. Um, and do you use any for, or any form of like pre-planned story structure like you know joseph campbell's the the story circle or save the cat no never never it might be you know intuitive or uh you know something that just kind of is in here or in here that yeah. i don't even think about and suddenly you know it's done and i go oh well that's kind of this you know <laughs> I, I talk to people about this and it's like people don't can't often articulate what makes a story satisfying but they know a satisfying story when they read it yeah um you know that's that's just something i i don't know you know it's something i said before you started recording is that i'm not sure how i do certain things it's it's, it's some of it is intuitive yeah just comes out of like my theater training of dramatic action of how I think a character would react or do something within the context of the situation. Um, and it just turns out to be right. You know, um, could I have done this if I hadn't, you know, direct directed plays and worked with actors and studied plays? I don't know. But I kind of link it all together. It, it makes a lot of sense. And there's something that you, uh, it's something very refreshing about the, the sort of way you approach things, the way you articulate things. And maybe that's it. So maybe advice for writers should be you should go and investigate theater. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, there, there's less money in theater than there is in writing. So, <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> Lord save us. Then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, I I had uh, a very quick question for you because we're running out of time and I'll I'll leave some space for Greg. 
Yeah, just for my own curiosity, you were saying like you have these ideas and they pop into you. When you were planning out this one and you started with the end in mind, I won't give any spoilers, but there are these two specific characters who you think of a certain way throughout the entire book and the end, suddenly that gets completely flipped. And it's like, at what point were you like doing the dishes, walking the dog or something when you came up with this this idea? Well, um, it was May 2020. Yeah. And you know what we were going through then. Um, We were all still in lockdown. Uh, We were all wearing masks and social distancing and doing really bizarre, absurd things like washing our mail. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, washing our groceries and just doing crazy stuff because we were so paranoid and freaked out by this virus that we didn't really know anything about. You know, the vaccines were a year away, you know, and, and um, it was new. It was scary. And we live in the suburbs. My wife and I would still take walks in the neighborhood. And it was just creepy. You know, I mean, we could see that nobody was out. You know, every now and then you'd pass somebody, you know, and you'd kind of like, you know, do that. Um, But that's how I got the, I mean, Marigold Way is really my street. Um, I changed the name and everything. Um, And we had a house next to us that was for sale for months. It was empty all during the pandemic and, and for some time before the pandemic. And so we kept thinking, you know, it's kind of creepy having this empty house next to us. And so my mind started going, you know, thinking of things that could happen in there, especially, you know, now during the camera. And then, you know, I also thought, well, crimes are still going to happen during the pandemic. You know, there's still going to be murders. Yeah. And and stuff. Um, And then, you know, I'm a big fan of Our Town, the, the Thornton Wilder play. Yes. In fact, I was in it once. Uh, in college, I was—I actually st- uh, acted in it. Um, and I, I started—I started thinking, you know, what if Thornton Wilder was alive today and he wrote another Our Town only now during the pandemic? You know, what would it be like? Um, that was going through my head. Um, I'm a big Coen Brothers fan. And I agree with like Fargo and things like that. Yeah. And I thought, you know, you know, they they write they do movies, especially their crime movies. They're 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 movies made for smart people, but they're about stupid people. They really are. All their characters are really, really stupid. They do stupid things, (laughs) but they're done. It's done so brilliantly. And they're and they're dark comedies. You know, they're they're really even their their darkest crime movies has a lot of dark humor in it. And so I started envisioning this story as a Coen Brothers movie filtered through Thornton Wilder's Our Town um, in today's pandemic setting. That's how it kind of came about. I mean, the main character, Scott, he's stupid. He's a total (laughs) idiot, you know? Well, he's a writer. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, unfortunately, we are approaching the top of the hour, so we uh, we have to try things. Oh, this has been such a delightful conversation. And I think it's going to be really valuable. I think people who are listening to this, I, I think there is so much they can learn from from your approach and what you've shared with it. Craig, do you have any more questions? 
no, but I agree. I, I think that, you know, there's really a lot here to unpack and go through and think about in terms of, you know, how to structure a story and all the planning and how much easier that makes the actual writing process when you have a solid plan. Not to say that, you know, there isn't a place for, for pantsers, but, you know, I'm personally <laughs> definitely on the plotter side of it. So for me, at least, this was uh, sort of really very, very valuable. So thanks for coming on and, and sharing. Yeah, Brad, I was happy to do it. Thanks for asking me. And Raymond, where can people find your work? Well, it's all over Amazon. I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of my books are out of print, so, but they are available as eBooks. Everything is, yeah. is an eBook. So um, uh, some of the more recent books are still in print. Um, so and Amazon, some of them are getting reprinted. Oh, yes. Yeah. Zero Menace 10 is coming out. Thursday. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, Amazon is certainly the best place to find me. Uh, I mean, my website is RaymondBenson.com and you can go, all, you know, see all my books there and there are links to Amazon from each title uh, and so on. And there's also other stuff, your music and your movies and, and yes. All that. Yeah. Well, we'll pop a link down below. Uh, and if you go down and scroll there while you're there, make sure you leave a comment for Raymond and tell him how much you appreciated all the wisdom he has shared today. And if, if you're down there, you might as well hit that like button and hit that subscribe button at the same time. But thank you so much, Raymond, for, for joining us and sharing all this wisdom. Thank you so much for everyone listening at home. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Fully Booked. So until then, cheerio. Bye.